2: I'm Max Reaper, editor of Royals Review. Jo- joining me as usual is Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, how are you doing tonight?
0: I I don't know how the weather is uh, where you guys are up in Kansas or Missouri or wherever, but down here we've had a cold snap this week, and it is it is beautiful. I'm having the time of my life.
2: Uh, you've gotten it I cold in North Carolina terms, which is where you are. It's probably different than Midwest cold. I was, will you give us an idea of how cold it
0: is there i'm actually visiting my parents in georgia so
2: that's even yeah
0: yeah it's 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 60
2: (laughs) (laughs) up in north
0: carolina apparently i I missed the first snow of the season so i'm a little disappointed about that but uh i'll be i'll be up there again in a couple of days so i'll be maybe maybe there'll be a couple flakes left
2: yeah dip down to like 26 i think last night in kansas city and it's going to be 80 in a couple days so that's kind of your midwest in a in a nutshell right there uh so that's that's midwest cold uh also joining us uh, matthew lamar out this week pinch hitting is greg walker greg how are you dealing with the cold snap in kansas city these days
1: not nearly as much of a fan of it as jeremy is with his i can already feel the winter depression setting in but I'll, i'll find some way to get
0: through it
2: yeah, I guess it's a good thing the Royals didn't make the, the the playoffs, right? Because otherwise, we'd have you know forty degree temps for uh, playoff baseball, uh, and you don't want that. You don't want baseball should be played in pleasant weather. You know, and they actually lucked out a lot in 2014 and 15. I mean, it got. I went to some of those games. It was a little chilly, but not not bad at all for October baseball. Uh, certainly could have been lower. Certainly no rainouts like we've had in the playoffs this year. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about this year's postseason and the new format. Uh, a little bit later in the podcast, but I did want to talk uh, about some of the off season decisions the Royals have to make um, uh, specifically the arbitration decisions. they will have to make Uh MLB trade rumors has their own uh, arbitration estimates based. It's a, it's, it's a kind of a formula they use based on historically uh, what uh, players have gotten through other arbitration process based on their service time and production. And it's, it's generally around the vicinity of what players end up getting. So um, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of go over some of those numbers and uh, getting your guys' opinions on whether you, whether or not you think those players should or will be tendered contracts. Of course, if they're if the Royals decide they don't want to tender those players uh, the contracts, then they become free agents and they could resign, which sometimes does happen, or they end up going somewhere else, like Jacob Junis did with the Giants last year. He ends up signing with them. Um, so let's let's kind of start at the top. We'll start with the, the guy that I think that, that they, they estimate will get the, the most under arbitration, and that is Brad Keller. Uh, Brad Keller, uh, basically because of his service time, he'll be in his third arbitration year, his last year before free agency. But he's coming off a pretty subpar season, uh, certainly not what he's been uh, used to putting up in the past. They have him getting uh, $7 million to the arbitration process, up from his $4.8 million salary. This is for uh, you know, a starting pitcher who last year had a 5.09 ERA. Got demoted to the bullpen towards the end of the year. Uh, Jeremy, we'll start with you. Uh, would you be tendering Brad Keller, non-tendering him, looking to trade him? What's what's kind of the if knowing that he's going to get around seven million dollars? What's your, your plan with him?
0: Seven million dollars just isn't that much for a pitcher, um, especially in today's climate. I don't think even a reliever. I think seven million is not. I mean, it's more than you probably want to pay for a middle reliever, but it's not insane. Um, and the old adage is, "There's no such thing as a bad one-year contract." Um, he's still young. He's got that history of of pitching better than he has uh, the last year or two. Um, and I would, I I genuinely would like to see, you know, if another pitching coach, who, uh, you know, can can maybe give us more than I have no idea what's wrong with you, Brad. Uh, can can come in here and and figure out you know where did his success go and help him find some of that again. Um, I I just don't think seven million dollars is too much to pay uh, for one last chance to see if you can find the Brad Keller that you thought you had a couple years ago.
2: Yeah, it wasn't just this year either. Keller was pretty bad last year. Over the last two years, 5.24 ERA, 4.61 WHIP over 273 innings. But before that, he was he was excellent. I mean the short you know, nine starts of 2020, 2.47 ERA before he got hurt. Greg, where do you land on on Brad Keller, whether or not the Royals should bring him back?
1: I'm not super opposed to the idea of tendering my contract if it's if it's around that estimate of seven million. But if it were my decision to make, I would probably just cut him loose. I don't think I would tender him because he's almost like it's almost like he's just gotten worse basically every single year since 2018. I mean, at least by FanGraphs War, he has declined literally five straight years now with that peak coming in that first season in 2018. And look, the five Oh nine ERA is ugly. The 4.37 X ERA is actually the best he's had in the last four years. And it's still bad. He went to the bullpen partway through the season and he was still bad there too. Like it's not like he was effective as a reliever after being bad as a starter. So I understand the thought process of maybe there is something you could still unlock in him. If you have some kind of some different coaching, kind of a different voice to speak to him. But I just I just don't really see it with him because, I mean, he's never really struck dudes out. And like for how few guys that he strikes out, he walks entirely too many batters. I just I just don't really see it with him.
2: This one's really tough for me, I think, because for, a, you know, for if you're the Cardinals, it would be a no brainer You got to let them go. I mean, they're, you're a team that's trying to contend. You've got probably better guys available in your organization. Cut them loose. But for a team like the Royals, they, I mean, like they need five guys in the rotation. Brad Keller is probably one of the five best starting rotation candidates right now. And that's kind of sad. And yes, they should look to upgrade that. But um, right now I don't see anyone in house that's going to put up better numbers. Um, and it's seven million dollars, which, you know, as, as Jeremy says, it's not a whole lot of money for a starter or reliever. Um, and if he's, you know, puts up numbers closer to what he did, you know, maybe in his second year when he had a 4.19 ERA, 4.35 FIP, which, you know, last year's FIP wasn't too bad. 4.5, you know, isn't horrible. If he's your fifth starter, I don't think that's too bad. Um, so I'd probably lean towards keeping him, um, and, uh, and, you know, seeing if you can get at least, you know, it's not a long commitment, you know, it's one year, and if he stinks in in May, June, or June, you can always release him and not feel too bad about it. But I just don't feel like they have enough rotation depth at this point that I feel comfortable just cutting you know cut, cutting ties with a guy who's been you know a nine win player over the last five years, which isn't nothing, uh, especially for a team like the Royals who's at who's had a lot of trouble developing starting pitching. So I, I'd say keep him. You know they're not they've got money to burn really this off season, and I don't think they're going to go after a lot of big free agents. So um, I think he could do worse on the free agent market uh, than a seven million dollar one you know one win pitcher like Keller. Um, so, but I, I I also see the other side. I can see cutting him loose too. I don't I don't think it'd be you know terrible. Uh, let's go with uh this one should be pretty easy. Scott Barlow, uh Scott Barlow, they estimate he'll earn four point nine million dollars to the arbitration process that's, that process. That's that's a steal. Um so I don't know. Do you have anything more to add to that, Greg? Other than Scott Barlow uh is an excellent pitcher.
1: <laughs> I think they should have maybe traded him at the deadline this year, but aside from that, yeah, I mean this is
0: you're right, this is a no brainer. You give him a contract. Jeremy, anything to add? Uh the Royals under Dayton Moore used to love to buy out multiple uh, arbitration years. I, he's, this is not his last one, is it? He's got. A no, this will, be, this
2: will be this would be a second arbitration season. So yeah. He's got so I us.
0: I wouldn't. I'm not opposed to go ahead and, and firm him up. Maybe buy one free agency year. I know. Uh, I I tend to agree. Yeah, I probably should have traded him this year, but. Um, for a guy like Scott Barlow, who's been good for multiple years in a row, he's he's still relatively young. I don't think you're gonna lose trade value by locking him up. And then, you know, you're you're good, you know what you got, and you don't. I, I am also I tend to agree one of the things, a few things Date Moore and I agreed on was the arbitration process is not great. Uh, you don't wanna go in there and be like, You suck, I hate you. I don't want to pay you any money. Um, it's not good for morale. So I avoid that whenever possible. And with a guy like Scott Barlow, I feel like, yeah, just just go ahead and get get the arbitration stuff done and and don't worry about it anymore.
2: I think how they handle Barlow will tell us a lot about how transactional um, JJ Piccolo is going to be, because I can see a scenario where they do trade him this offseason. I think there's going to be a lot of demand for him, especially, you know, with everyone seeing how important bullpen performance is in this postseason um, and so I can see them, you know, I can see a lot of interest in him, and, if, and frankly, they should be looking to trade him. I mean, he's 29 years old, uh, going to be 30 years old next year. Well, he's
0: older than I realized. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and he's he's been really good the last two years, pretty solid before that, although his, his ERA wasn't great. Um, but he's been a really solid pitcher. But we also know that that can change, you know, at the drop of a hat. He could have uh, start having injury problems uh, before long, and then you can't you don't get anything for Scott Barlow. And I, and I think it would be very unpopular to trade him. I think people would say, John Sherman's being cheap. We're not going to be, you know, we're already taking a bad bullpen and making it worse. But if you're a transactional team that's trying to be like the Rays, like the Guardians, like the Brewers, like the A's, you absolutely trade Scott Barlow this offseason, or at least when you can, get a good value for him. Because, um, you know, the clock is ticking. It's just a matter of time before kind of his arm falls off and he's not the dominant reliever he is now.
0: And, and the thing is that if you take a bad bullpen and make it worse – you weren't competing anyways you had a bad bullpen right the, the the real alternative to that is signing like five good relievers which is not a realistic right. <laughs> option
2: well and go find the next Scott Barlow right i know it's right. easier said than done but you you got you got to go out there and find guys on the freely available market like the rays do all the time and be able to coach them up or 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 find on you know hidden gems that you can turn into the next kind of useful reliever with many controllable years
1: I am at least a little bit concerned with Barlow, how his strikeouts dropped pretty substantially this year. But he also did kind of make up for that with the lowest hard hit rate of his career. So uh, just something to watch going forward.
2: Yeah, and he had a couple outings late in the year where his, his velocity dropped a little bit, which I think raised a little bit of a red flag. So all the more reason, I think, to trade him now while you you can get a lot of value for him. Um, but we'll have to see what they end up doing. Uh, I, like I said, it'll be very unpopular, I think, to trade him at this point. Uh, Nikki Lopez. Uh, MLB Trade Rumors projects him to get a $3.4 million salary. Uh, this is a second arbitration season, so he'd have another year after this. Um, actually, I think he may get two. I think he may have been super two uh, as a uh, early in his career. Uh, Nicky Lopez, man, rough season at the plate. Uh, did not hit a single home run all year. Only a 20 RBI and 480 play appearances. Not, R- not that RBI is that great of a stat, but that's still remarkable. But a 58 OPS plus. Still a good defender, um, but uh, I don't know Nikki Lopez. Uh, Greg, where are you standing on Nikki Lopez for three point four million dollars? You
1: no, know, it was pretty easy to tell that last year was the outlier for Lopez in terms of his offensive production. I mean, that was just pretty clear with a, even a cursory look at the underlying stats. So he's just he showed that basically 2019, 2020 that really is what he is as a hitter. That said, for three three and a half million, I would be willing to do that just because he's shown that he can play second base shortstop and third base at a pretty high level defensively. So he seems like a perfect fit as a utility infielder. Now, if they're signing him with the idea to start, that's probably not the greatest idea. And he wasn't starting really down the stretch. So if they're going to roll out an infield starting next year, kind of similar to what they ended last year with, with Lopez mainly as a bench guy, I'd be okay with that.
2: I think if the Royals give him 40, 480 plate appearances next year, and he has a 58 OPS plus something has gone wrong. (laughs) Uh, Jeremy, uh, should Nicky Lopez stick around at $3.4 million on this team?
0: I really like Nicky Lopez. Uh, Greg calling me out because I bought hard into the, uh, the 2021 numbers. <laughs> uh, but uh, I really like Nicky Lopez. I like the energy he brings to the team, the defensive acumen, the base running ability. Um, he's not a blazer, but uh, he he steals bases at a reasonable clip, and he doesn't get caught all that often. Uh, and he takes the extra base, you know. Of course, he's got to get on base first. Uh, is the big problem for Nicky Lopez? Uh, three and a half isn't unreasonable for a backup infielder. The only thing that I would be asking myself is, what do we have in the minors? Um, you know, we've got, uh, Michael Garcia, uh, I don't know who else we got down there that might be ready to come up and also fulfill that bench role, maybe at a cheaper price. Um, though you don't want to bring up somebody like Michael Garcia, if you think that guy can start and say, well, you're going to be a bench guy now. Um, cause then that can, that can damage their, their, their development too. So it's, uh, there's, there's a couple things to think about, but yeah, uh, three, three and a half million for a utility guy who's got speed and defense, um, and the ability to bunt, which I I know um, bunting is not the the Royals bunt too much, but I like having you know at least one guy in on the team that is like if I really need a bunt, I need a bunt, and I like having that one guy that I could go this guy's gonna get me the bunt. Um, so I think he he brings enough value to bring him back at three and a half.
1: Nicky Lopez had more sacrifice bunts this year than ten teams did. <laughs> that that's probably too many.
2: Well, but, the Bra- the Braves, I think only they only had one sacrifice hit all year. Is that correct? So, and they got it really
1: late too. They yeah. were so close to a full season without a sacrifice bunt. I was very <laughs> upset when they did it.
2: Ned Yost sheds a tear for the team he once knew. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think for three and a half million, that's really a, that's really a, you know money you can find in the couch. And for a utility infielder who can fill in at both middle infield positions competently, and yeah, he's not going to give you much at the plate. But you know, even for this bad of an offensive season, he was worth 1.2 war on fan graphs. Uh, baseball reference has him slightly negative. Um, but, you know, I think I'd take that. You know, this for this fielding, like you said, his base running, uh, there's always the chance that maybe he can uh, get back to the player he was last year. Well, you know, it will be interesting to see if the ban, I guess the ban on shift really won't help him much since he wasn't the guy that was getting shifted on. But, um, you know, we'll see if he can, can kind of recla- recapture that a little bit. Um, and, you know, even if he doesn't, I think you, you can live with, a, you know, a utility infielder who can't hit, uh, but can field a little bit on your bench. Like I said, the, the problem is if he's getting 480 plate appearances, then that's that's probably going to be the, the bigger issue. Hey, Max. I'll, yeah. Can
0: I get can I get an invite to your house and I'll just sit on your couch for a little while? I, wanna, I just want to look for a little pocket change, a little three and a half <laughs> yeah. million in your couch.
2: You got to look at John Sherman's uh, couch for that. Uh, yeah, he's got that sitting around in his, in his couch. Uh, next, let's turn to Luke Weaver, new uh, one of the newest Royals. Uh, he comes over from the Diamondbacks. This is actually his third year of arbitration, but they only have him at $3 million. I think a lot of that's because he's been hurt um, through a lot of his arbitration process. Luke Weaver, the Royals acquired, acquired him from the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, at midseason last year for Emmanuel Rivera. He has been a starter in the past, but this year he's mostly a reliever as he worked his way back from injury. Numbers not so good. He had a, uh, he made 14 appearances with the Royals, 5.59 ERA, coupled with his time with the Diamondbacks, 6.56 overall in 35 and two-thirds innings. Very good fifth, though, 2.69 fifths. So uh, he did strike out over a hitter in an inning. I don't know if his future lies in the bullpen or in the starting rotation. The Royals said they'll kind of reexamine that uh, next year, that they would leave it open to him starting next year. But, uh, Jeremy, Luke Weaver, did he show you enough down the stretch to warrant being tendered for the 2023 season at $3 million?
0: So, funny story, Uh, I was not watching a lot of baseball down the stretch. I was just kind of tired of all the losing. Uh, and I don't think I ever saw Luke Weaver pitch. <laughs> I don't think he pitched in any of the games I watched. So it's hard for me to judge him too, too much. Um, 3 million. Again, if 7 million, isn't a lot for Brad Keller, uh, 3 million doesn't seem like a lot to, you know, say, Hey, can you, can you give me something with a little bit of pitch coaching? Uh, a little, uh, see if there's, if our scouting actually found something, uh, the, the, Again, the only thing is, do you have guys that have higher upside in your upper minors that you're that are ready for a chance? And I don't know that the Royals have that right now. Um, I feel like the pitching development really kind of came to a screeching halt last year after bringing up a bunch of guys. You know, all those 2018 guys came up, and then it was like, okay, now now who's next? And it's crickets. So I give him a shot again, like you said with Brad Keller. Uh, If he if he doesn't work out early on, you can cut him. You haven't lost much. Uh, Three million. Three million is also, I assume, in John Sherman's couch.
2: Greg, did you watch a little more Royals baseball than Jeremy did and can have a better assessment of Luke Weaver's performance?
1: Not a whole lot more, but I did get to see Luke Weaver a few times and also watched him a little bit when he was back in Arizona, too. So. Like the weird thing for me here is just that that trade still doesn't make any sense to me. And it makes less sense if they decide they're going to non tender him now. So I think he probably will get tendered. Now, as far as should he get tendered? I'm kind of on the fence, like he's less than half the cost of Brad Keller. So there's at least that, I think his future most likely is going to be in the bullpen, but like I, I was diving into his numbers, trying to find, you know, something good, like something to kind of be optimistic about for him. And I found that, well, he's got a pretty good fastball. I mean, Good velo on it has pretty good shape, but hitters teed off on that fastball this year. Like it was not an effective pitch for him and very little else has really been promising. I mean, he just gets hit hard consistently and has been for years now. And when he hasn't been getting hit hard, it's been because he's on the IL. So I don't love it, but I'm okay with keeping him around. And yeah, maybe if he gets some better coaching that can show him how to use that fastball better and maybe – Figure out his secondaries, because between his changeup slider and curveball, none of them were super effective. So maybe he just needs to lock in on one of those and really hone it. In
2: 2019, he had 12 starts with a 2.94 ERA for the Diamondbacks. Since then, he's pitched in 153 and a third big league innings with a 5.58 ERA. That's over three seasons. I think if he was a free agent right now, he would not get a major league contract. He would probably get a minor league invite uh merely contract and an invite to spring training with maybe an incentive incentivized deal but i don't think he would get 3 million guaranteed uh, and i do wonder you know I, I tend to agree that yeah they traded for him so they obviously think he's worth bringing back next year but we also the the guy that traded for him may may not be here anymore i don't know it was that Dayton Moore's call to trade for him or is that a JJ Piccolo trade um, which that may have a, a, an impact on whether or not they bring him back but the fact that they did make that trade makes me think he's going to come back. And three, like like Jeremy says, $3 million really isn't that much to take a look and see if he does have something left in the tank as a reliever or as a starter. Um, but, yeah, Greg, is I saw him a few times, too, and he just did not. I can't remember a performance where I was like, okay, I see what they saw. him. like, he just did not look that good in his performances with the Royals. Um, the eye test. So by the eye test, he doesn't look good. By the stat line, he doesn't look good. Um you know, unless you look at FIP, I guess, which that's count kind of for something. Um, so I don't. I would probably cut him loose and try to see if we can sign him on a minor league deal because I don't. I can't imagine there's going to be a bidding more for his services.
1: The FIP was nice, but he also had a 5.45 XCRA, so that uh steps takes me back a little bit.
2: Yeah, that's not so good. So let's uh then moving on to another guy that MLB trade rumors has at three million dollars. Adamberto Mondesi. Did you guys remember he's still on the team? Uh, he. The oft-injured, enigmatic shortstop. Uh, no one denies his skills and abilities. What we do question is his ability to stay on the field. He only played in 15 games this year. Uh, he only hit a, a buck 40 in those 15 games. By the way, you may not remember many of his hits. Um, and then last year, he only played in 35 games. So he's had some trouble staying on the field. That's right. and that's for a guy that already had a reputation for injuries before that. So Greg, three million dollars for Edmundo Mendes. Uh, is it, are you going to tend to him or is it time to kind of finally move on from Mondesi? Uh,
1: well, see, I did write about this recently over on Rose Review and I made a case for both sides. So I had to really try to get into the weeds of kind of both sides of this equation of should you keep him around, what's good about him what's bad about him. Just what concerns me, even aside from the injuries, is he really hasn't hit over the past couple of years. Like, even if you go back to 2020, basically outside of September 2020, he really wasn't hitting at all. Like, 2018 seems like it might be an outlier of a season offensively. That said, I still would give him $3 million because, as I also mentioned in that piece, he's been productive either way, like on a rate basis at least. Fangraphs War is a really big fan of him. He's been pretty much the best player on the team over the past four or five years by that metric, second to maybe Whit Merrifield. So... I think it's worth keeping him, paying him the $3 million and I think we've seen from last year, there isn't any kind of training or load management plan or anything that's going to keep him healthy. So just run him out there every day at shortstop, let him play, and just see if he's good or if he's you know, cold all year, or if he gets hurt or whatever. And then if he does get hurt, you can go ahead and cut bait since this is last year of arbitration anyway. So I say go for it, run him out there at shortstop, and just see what happens.
2: We were talking before the show just a little bit, <laughs> Greg. You got a lot of feedback on that Alberto <laughs> Montesi piece. People have strong opinions about him.
1: Yeah, people were very, very passionate about it, and it was pretty split too. Like over a thousand people responded to the poll in there, and it was pretty close to 50-50 on if you should be tenured to contract or not.
2: Well, Jeremy, where do you stand? You know, are you with the crowd? Thinks we should bring him back, or are you ready to kind of move on from the Montesi experience?
0: Uh, so, you know, I, I I don't like to be with the crowd. So I'm going to go ahead and say I don't care. I don't have a strong <laughs> opinion one way or the other. Uh, if the you want to bring him back for $3 million, that makes sense to me. See if he's got anything. Uh, if you think, you know what, we've got some infielders now. We've got Bobby Witt Jr. We've got Michael Massey. Uh, you know, we've got uh, uh, Nate Eaton. Uh, if you say, "Yeah, we don't, we don't need him. We don't have room for him. He's taking up space other guys could have," then uh, that makes sense to me too. Um, I, I think uh, it's weird uh, that I'm the most ambivalent about Mondesi because I feel like if you'd ask you an hour ago, I would been like, "Yeah, go ahead and keep him. See if he's got anything left." But I, I the, uh, right now, I'm just, ugh. I'm, 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 I am, I'm, I feel bad for the way that he's been treated in Kansas City and. And I almost would like to see him get another shot somewhere else with a fan base that doesn't have a history of just like having the the, the general manager tell you tell everyone how awesome he is. And, and then like all this stuff about like, oh, he can't stay on the field. He's, he doesn't want to stay on the field. Like just go somewhere else, get away from all that history and see if he can figure things out somewhere else. But um, he'll probably have that opportunity next year.
1: I think Rolls fans would be less negative on him if he wasn't getting Francisco Lindor comps early on in his career.
0: Yeah. Uh, Or and Byron Buxton, who is also hurt, but not as hurt. And is better. Yeah. A little bit. So uh, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of frustration from the way the Royals hyped him up as like, there's, you want a superstar? Here's your superstar. And he wasn't good. And then he was hurt. And it's like, what, Where's the superstar? You promised me a superstar. So I think a lot of that anger is misplaced. But uh, if I was him, I would I would be ready to try it somewhere else.
2: Yeah. Well, in fairness, it's tough for the marketing department to say, "Hey, look, come out and see this 85 WRC plus player who can who can pick it." You know, it's like that's a harder sell. So I, you know, I get why the team did what they did, but I, I think you guys are right. Like. If you hadn't hyped him up so much like and we were just like, OK, this is a, a shortstop who has trouble staying healthy and is is just kind of OK, then who knows? We, we, we think of him differently. Uh, you know, I, again, go to the test of like, would we sign him as a free agent for three million dollars if he was out there? And I would say absolutely. Yes. He's exactly what you're looking for for a team in this position. You want a player who is a young and out of Berkman is still, you know, pretty young. He's what, 20? Uh, seven years old, he just turned 27 uh, in July, still pretty young. Uh, You know, it's on the right side of 30 at least. Um, You want a player who has upside, and I still think he has upside, even if uh, he does have trouble making contact at times, his bat disappears at times. But it doesn't take much hitting from him for for him to be be valuable. I mean, if he, you know, hits reasonably well, you know, 85 OPS plus and has good defense and fielding or good defense and base running, He's still like a two-three-one player, which for three million dollars, that's a tremendous value. So as long as you're not depending on him, as long as you're not hyping him up to be the next Francisco Lindor, and, and he's just a, a role player who's on your team, who when he is available is a you know a, kind of an up-and-down player, then I think you know you'll take what you can get from him. every. Yeah, as long as you treat him like icing on the cake, like we're, we're, he's not your foundation, he's not the he's not the, mm-hmm. you know what we're relying on. He's just kind of you know ice cream, you know the sprinkles in there, ice cream. I, sorry, I'm craving dessert right now. So that's why I'm using all the dessert metaphors. But uh, you know, you, you know, what I'm saying like you know, as long as you're not relying on him, I think he's a, a fine player to have. And if he explodes, then great, you have a good trade uh, asset at the deadline. You know, for you know a million uh, in salary in August and September, it's, teams would love to have that. You know, if his production is anywhere close to what he's you know capable of doing, I think teams will take that all day. And you can get at least some a, a good a, an interesting arm or two in someone's minor league system. So I think, I think it makes, you know, it's all, it's a no brainer, I think to, to bring him back at this point. Speaking of no brainers, how about Brady Singer? I mean, $2.9 million is what they project him to get in his first year. <laughs> he, he obviously turned the corner this year, 3.23 ERA, 153 innings uh, for a guy who didn't even make the rotation at the beginning of the year. Uh, Jeremy, you know, Brady Singer, obviously we want to bring him back, but uh, do you want to uh extend him? at this point to a long-term deal or
0: Uh, yeah, I I made the argument, I think a month or two ago that at this point, he's given me enough that like the, the, the gleam of a future ACE is there. Like he's, he's showing it. Right. And I think, but he hasn't done it long enough that I think that you have to give him ACE money To keep him long term, I think you can give him middle rotation money and keep him long term. I think that's reasonable. And then if he does fall back a little bit, well, you paid what he was worth. And if he doesn't fall back, well, now you've got to you've got to steal. Um, so that's where I'm looking uh, with Brady Singer, and and honestly, if they if they did cut him, like I just said, they they wouldn't have an opening day starter next year because he's clearly the opening day starter for this team. Uh, but um, yeah, I I would 100% extend him. Of course, uh, I haven't actually said to cut anybody in seriousness yet. Uh, and it's clearly not my money, so maybe I'm a little biased, but, uh, I, I think he's a clear extension candidate for this team.
2: Greg, what, you know, pitchers can always be a little bit of a dicey notion going forward with (laughs) long-term commitments, but you also need, you know, starting pitching and the Royals have had trouble producing it. So does it make sense to kind of commit to him at this point long-term?
1: I think it could make some sense to at least start kicking the tires on an extension right now. Obviously you're going to tender him a contract at the very least, but they should at least consider an extension or if they're, if they're really crazy and they want to commit to the eternal rebuild, then maybe they could uh, also explore trading him. But I would definitely be at least considering like trying to lock up Brady Singer into his early thirties or so, because I did kind of do a deep dive on him pretty recently. And on the surface, all the numbers were really good and even looking deeper down, it's not like there was anything horrible that i was really concerned about but the contact quality metrics against him do give me a little bit of pause i mean he the ball did get pretty hit pretty hard against him so that is something to look at and the fact that his changeup just is still not even a good pitch at all like he throws it now so that's good it's still not a very effective pitch so probably need to sharpen that up a little bit that said this is pure speculation i'm not convinced that brady singer is the type that would sign a team friendly extension if it were offered to him like he he strikes me as the kind of guy that would be betting on himself and thinks that he can go get that big money when he gets to free agency. So I can see him not being interested in extension, but I think the Royals would definitely be better served if they do at least attempt to pursue that.
2: Yeah, and he seems like a really competitive guy, obviously had a lot of success in college, who may be a little tired of losing, maybe wants to doesn't want to commit to a team that's uh, kind of mired in the, in the bottom of the standings. But that being said, there probably is a price point where he would think about you know, a six-year, seven-year deal. And I think it is time to, to kind of start, start putting that together. I, I, I'd i want to take a deeper dive before I start looking at numbers, but I think you're probably talking about, you know, largest contract in franchise history, which, um you know, is, is, is not much compared to other organizations. But, um you know, I think the Royals would have to make a substantial commitment to him um, to get him, you know, beyond free agency. And I think they should at this point. Like you said, get him into his 30s, cover his prime years, give him that big deal that – um that he can kind of you know have you know generation generational money for his family uh, but also keep that picture at the front of your rotation because I think he is at, at, I think his floor is already pretty high I think he's like his floor is a mid rotation guy and I think this year he showed he can be a number 2 and I think he possibly could be a number 1 you know it'd be nice if he developed that change it but I think his his stuff with it with its movement and the sinking sinking action I think uh, is going to get him a lot of uh, bad contact so uh, hopefully, uh, you know the Royals can kind of work something out with him, and, and maybe we'll see something uh, where he's uh, John Sherman can open up that open up that couch a little bit and 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 give him some real money.
1: Give him that Ian Kennedy money.
2: That's right.
0: <laughs> uh, I just how, uh, I just ahead. want to say that Brady Singer is probably my favorite pitcher to watch on this team. That two seam fastball is just filthy. And, and everybody, you know, there's there's other guys with good pitches, but he's he's my favorite to watch pitch right now.
1: I'm glad but that he, everybody else is coming around on Brady Singer now, because I've been like a huge fan of him since he was in Florida. Also, the fact that he just works so fast, too.
2: Yeah, he works fast really and, he's, he, and he's got kind of a nice, quick delivery that and, and you know, injuries are hard to predict. But he doesn't seem like a, a huge injury risk. And I will see now, I may probably jinx him right there. But, you know, he's got that <laughs> nice compact. Delivery that doesn't have a lot of flying parts, doesn't have a lot of max effort, um, and it doesn't seem like he would be putting a lot of stress on his arm. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, th- I like the way he works. I think he's a he's a guy that can be a fan favorite too. Um, so, I think it, I think it would make a lot of sense to kind of commit to him long term at this. point. What about uh, Amir Garrett? He was, you know, kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. Um, definitely a guy with a, it seems like a cool personality, kind of a leader in that clubhouse a little bit. MLB Trade Rumors has him at $2.6 million. Uh, his ERA was not very good, 4.96 ERA. But he had a three, uh, 3.40 FIP, uh, good strikeout numbers, bad walk numbers, didn't allow a lot of hits, kind of a real mixed bag. Jeremy, where do you stand on Amir Garrett? <laughs> uh,
0: uh, Amir Garrett, I'm, I'm a fan. I like the personality. Um, we've been talking all night about the couch money. Again, not a lot of money for a lefty who throws that hard, um, has a history of striking just everybody out. Um, obviously, those numbers went down a little bit this year. The walks went up, uh, which is you know the wrong direction. But he did have a, you, I think you mentioned the 3.40 FIP. So there was there was some there was some good there. Um, I wanted to look at his splits and see because I felt like he pitched a lot better in the second half. But it, looking at the splits, uh, not so much. He was a little bit better, but not a lot. Um, you know, I, who, who who else are you going to put in the bullpen right now? It, you know, there's not anybody that is like screaming to be left in the bullpen. So, yeah, I'd give him the money. Keep him around for another year. He's
2: always been kind of a high strikeout, high walk guy. I mean, that's kind of what he is at this point. But Greg, you know, they, they're putting an emphasis on throwing strikes now. Does Samir Garrett kind of fit into what the Royals need in their bullpen right now?
1: I don't know if he fits, but I would be totally cool with him sticking around. Amir Garrett is just a fascinating player to me. I mean, he's he's kind of like a worse Jose Alvarado in the sense he can punch dudes out, but he also just might come in and walk everybody that he faces. So you run that real risk. The The ERA was high, yes, but, I mean, there is some signs that maybe that was a little bit fluky. I mean, he had a really low strand rate, only 60%, so that might have contributed to it a little bit but he also had like, he had good batted ball metrics this year. He did not allow a home run all season after having major home run problems in Cincinnati last year. And, you know, I think there is value in keeping around a guy that'll be willing to fight the entire opposing team at any time. (laughs) So I'm, I'm for sure down with keeping him around. I'm a big Amir Garrett fan, mainly for the, mainly for the not pitching aspects more than anything else. Yeah.
2: And he also helps out, helps up the, the the team, the pickup basketball team uh, with the Royals because former player at St. John's, uh, yeah, I'm kind of with you guys. I think he, yeah, he's going to bring walks, but he does. He, I don't think people realize how hard he was to hit last year. Like he did not, players were not squaring up on him. You're you're going to get some walks, you're going to get some strikeouts, but um, I think overall his performance, I think is 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 worth three million dollars. I think if he has a or two point six million, I should say, I think if he pitches reasonably well the first couple months, I think you have a player that will have value on the trade market. Um, so I think it's worth bringing him back. He's only gonna be 30 years old by 31 in May. So uh, not terribly old, but not, you know, not terribly young either. So uh, I, I think bringing him back on a one year deal, it makes a lot of sense. This will be his last year before a free agency. So I would say yes on a tender for him. How about Chris Bubich? This is his first year of arbitration. Uh, $1.8 million is where MLB Trade Rumors has him. Kind of a uh, mixed mixed bag for Chris Bubich a little bit this year. And, and you know, it seems like every year we say, you know, yes, some some good starts interspersed with some bad starts. 5.58 area overall is not very good. Um, he, you know, he also had a you know three and thirteen record, which is uh, one of the worst in franchise history if you care about win loss record. Uh, but you know, he showed a little bit in the past. Greg, where do you stand on Chris Bubich?
1: a big fan of Chris Bubich I've never really been super high on him and he hasn't done anything in the majors to kind of make me think otherwise I mean he hasn't been especially good in any season his XCRA every year has been at least 5.3 his baseball savant page is very ugly I'm not going to go into it more than just saying there's a lot of blue on it which is not something you ever want to see for a pitcher or hitters anybody in general that said it's his first arb year. He's still young enough that there's potential there. He was really good in the minors, so he has a track record of some sort at least. So, he's yeah, absolutely worth keeping around. I just am tempering my expectations for him. I'm just not expecting a whole lot more than a, a
0: back-of-the-rotation starter here.
2: Yeah, Jeremy, what do you think about Chris Bubich at $1.8 million?
0: Uh, I am the resident Chris Bubich cheerleader, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and say yes to that deal every time, every day of the week. Uh, I, I just, I have, I'm going to continue to have faith that he's going to figure things out and, and become the pitcher that I believe he could be any day now, uh, until the Royals cut him. Uh, so I I don't, I don't have anything to back that up with. Obviously Greg's got the numbers over there. I, I know what they look like. Uh, I also know that the FIP is not terrible. He had the 4.78 FIP it was not great. Uh, but it is, it's not great, but it's, it's much better than the 5.58 ERA. The walks skyrocketed this year. Uh, the strikeouts went down. He's still, it was still only his age 24 season. He's going to be 25 next year. That's too young to give up on a guy 1.8 million. Um, and, and he's, I, I'm going to maintain through his rookie deal that he's too young to give up on. Uh, and when his final R year is done, we'll have another conversation maybe.
2: Uh, blind faith and loyalty from Jeremy Greco. So you, you know, you should you belong to the Dayton Moore administration with that. Uh you know, but I see what you're saying. Like one point eight million dollars for a young pitcher. Uh you know, it would make more sense to cut him loose if there were like I said, if there were more pitchers pushing him out at this point. Uh if Jonathan Heasley looked like more of a sure thing, or Carlos Hernandez had taken a step forward or Angel Zerpa was not hurt. But the fact that there really aren't a lot of great options, one point eight million for a guy that can make 27 starts seems like a steal, I guess. Um, and and you know, again, if you're for a rebuilding team, this is the kind of guy you take a chance on to see what he can do. That being said, I'm not very high on his chances at this point. I just don't, you know, a guy that leaves it up in the zone, middle, middle, you know, as much as he does, it's not going to last long in the big. Shun days. the
0: non-believers. <laughs>
1: I did just say to tender him, but I do need to point out that this past year, batters hit 348 and slugged 587 against his 14 fastball. It could have been worse. <laughs> do,
2: you guys, do you guys have any thoughts about him moving the pen? Cause I know that a couple commenters have, re- have raised that point. I don't see him as a guy that would have success in the pen, but he has kind of amped it up of velocity-wise at times, and, and maybe he could throw harder in the pen. Is that something you guys see as, a, as an option?
1: I mean, when you have a lefty with a decent changeup, I'm going to keep giving him the chance to start, especially as we keep mentioning with all these pitchers. Maybe if they get better coaching, he'll be able to turn around, but I don't necessarily have high hopes, bullpen or starter, both. so just, I don't know, run him out there and see what you can do.
0: I feel like when Chris Bubich has had success, it's when he's unleashed his fastball, quote-unquote. Um, but he can do that as a starter. He's shown that he can do that as a starter as he, uh, just as well as he can as a reliever. Um, he just doesn't consistently, and I'm not sure if it's a coaching issue or a mental issue or what's what's stopping him from doing that more often. Uh, so, again, I, I will hope that uh, a new coach will help him unlock his ability to just go full throttle with the fastball all the time. And if not, then the bullpen might make sense. Maybe he can figure out that mentality easier there.
1: Remember early on in the season when the organization was hyping up his brand new slider? He didn't throw a single slider
0: this year.
2: <laughs> they did. He yeah, they, it like in the first week of the season. Yeah.
0: They that's not the first time they've done that either, is it? They no. Didn't
2: they? I feel like they did with Daniel Lynch had another pitch too. I feel like he banned that like maybe a curve. I don't remember, but yeah, they they do it all the time. Like hype up a new pitch and like after two weeks, like well that that's not working. <laughs> Uh, well, this one should be easy, uh, no doubter. Ryan O'Hearn, obviously, tender him a contract at one point <laughs> five <laughs> <$1. laughs> million dollars. He's a great <laughs> man. He's a great man, great father, great leader. I don't, I don't know what he hits. I, I assume he's a good hitter too. I signed him
1: for ten years and ten dollars.
2: Uh, Jeremy, you have any thoughts on Ryan O'Hearn?
0: Gosh, I feel so bad for him. I hope he goes somewhere else and finds some modicum of success. <laughs> I, or you know, if he doesn't find success, I hope he finds just less people just ready to hate him just i i do i honestly feel bad for the guy at this point he has become the 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 focal point of fan ire because right. it just did not ever make sense to tender him a contract last season yeah and it's not his fault but boy he has borne the brunt of it
2: yeah, I know. For like, it seems like you know, based on Twitter, like the Royals would be good if it weren't for Reiner. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he is a reason they are bad, and that's like he's just like a small, 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 small part of it. But for some reason, he just takes all the ire, uh, and and he and he seems like he he's aware of it. I mean, there's some response he had to the Royals Twitter account that kind of hinted that he knew. <laughs> so I, I I agree. I I feel bad for him at this point. Like it's not really his fault. Uh, Greg, you have any thoughts on Ryan Hearn in his career going forward?
1: I mean, the, just his presence on the roster all year was baffling. I mean, he was on the big league roster the entire season just to only get 145 plate appearances as like potentially the least useful bench piece in the entire league. So just absolutely bizarre. But, you know, I think there is a real chance that if he wanted to give it a shot, he could
0: become like an icon in the KBO.
2: Yeah, I was to say I think he if he goes to Asia, I think he he could yeah, have some success there.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that I that's what I want now. I want I want Ryan O'Hearn in the KBO or or in the 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 NPA whatever they call MPB. it. NPB. I want, I want him over there smashing home runs left and right, turning into Mr. Baseball. He's got uh, a grow mustache though.
2: Future NC Dino uh Ryan O'Hearn in the KBO. I'd love to see that. Uh, how about Taylor Clark? I don't think we ever talked about Taylor Clark. I forget that Tyler Clark was on the team. Like, I mean, he was actually pretty useful, a guy that it was non-tendered by Arizona. The Royals picked him up. He had a 4.04 ERA, which isn't great, but not terrible. He actually was pitching pretty well in the first half, had some bad outings uh, toward the end of the year. 3.30 FIP, uh, very good walk rate, uh, probably uh, one of the best on the team, if not the best. Uh, and MLB trade rumors has him at 1.5 million dollars. He'll be 30, no, he'll be 30, 30 years old next May. So, Greg Taylor Clark, uh, is he part of the next year's bullpen? I think he is. I think we ha- do have to
1: actually give Dayton Moore some props here. I think this actually was a pretty decent find, especially considering it's not like he was expensive at all when they signed him in the off season. As he mentioned, like he was one of the only pitchers on the staff that didn't have walk issues. So. That was refreshing. And he had pretty good contact management too. He wasn't really getting hit hard out there. So yeah, I think he could absolutely be a useful bullpen piece. So 100% keep him around Jeremy.
0: Yeah. I, I have no complaints about Taylor Clark. I like you continually forgot he was on the roster until he was up at the bullpen. And it's like, Oh yeah, he, he's fine. Um, so he's, he's not your Scott Barlow. He's not your, your prime Greg Holland, but, uh, you gotta have guys that just get you through inning six sometimes, uh, unless you have Aaron Crow, and then you've got that covered too.
2: Well, I agree with Greg that, that Dave Morton or whoever it is JJ Piccolo deserves props for bringing him in. I think I hope the team does look this look look for the non tender route for more pitchers because there are some good arms out there, uh, and I know fans tend to look at the the six year free agents, the big names, the guys that get two years, thirteen million, three years, twenty million. But it's these non-tender one-year deals that um, that ended up being more valuable because, the, you know, you're not paying a ton of money for these players. And if they suck, you're not, you're not stuck with them for two years and you got to pitch them all every third day because you're paying him so much money. It's it's a guy that, OK, well, if he's if he's good, then he's good value. If he's not, we'll cut him in May. No big deal. Uh, and, well, and then finally, Josh Stalmont. Uh kind of forget about Stalmont. He had some injury problems. Um, only pitched 37 two-thirds innings this year, 6.45 ERA, so not a good season. Um, the walks seem to kind of bite him in the butt this year. But MLB Trade Rumors has him at $1 million. I think a couple years ago this would have seemed like a no-brainer, Jeremy, but but maybe a little bit more of a decision now. Where do you stand on Josh Stamont?
0: Uh For a million bucks, I'm going to tender him, and you know we'll see how things play out in spring training, uh, see if the new pitching coach has got any tips for him. Uh, And if, you know, if he doesn't look like one of your best eight relievers in spring training, then you cut him. Um, I think he still has options left. So that's another opportunity also Um, for a million dollars. It's not going to kill you to send into the minor leagues. I mean, that's barely over uh, the the minimum.
2: Yeah, the league minimum.
0: The league minimum. So, uh, you know, just... uh, He's got that fastball still. Um, he's got that curveball. see what happens.
2: Again, another guy that feels like they probably should have traded two years ago when he was kind of peaking. But I think you know, he still has value. Uh, Greg, what do you stand on uh, Josh Nama? I,
1: it's worth keeping him around. He's not expensive. I I don't expect him to be an elite reliever, which maybe we were thinking he could be when he was mowing guys down in 2020. I don't see that now, partially because he just walks entirely too many batters, and I don't think that's ever really going to go away. I mean, that's been an issue for him since he was in the minors, so it's not exactly anything new. Interestingly enough, his, his curveball got really teed off on this past year, but there was also some outperforming in the batted ball metrics on that, so maybe he was a little bit unlucky with that pitch. So I think he could still be a potentially useful reliever. I'm not looking at him as like a, a big time, high leverage arm that I want pitching in the postseason or anything, but he's, he's fine enough to keep around.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's worth keeping him around. I mean, just because he has some good hype, high, high uh, potential. And um, and if he does kind of bring it back this year, I think the Royals probably should look at trading him because unlike Singer, I think he's at a high injury risk. I mean, he's already had some, you know, he's broke down a little bit this year. Um, and, and, you know, some of that I think has been COVID related. He, he, he had a pretty bad and, and has had some uh, some some long term problems, it sounds like. But um, but he has such a small frame for a guy that throws as hard as he does. I just worry that that's that's not going to be sustainable for for several years. So, uh, you know, hopefully come, he seems like a good dude. Hopefully he has a good year. And then, you know, if the Royals can can maybe find a good deal for him, maybe he gets to, to pitch for a contender. Um, I did really before we take a break, I wanted to kind of look at the Arizona Fall League real quick. Greg, I know you've been following the Arizona Fall League for anyone that's not familiar with the league. It's kind of the uh, advanced league for players in the upper minors or on the cusp of the big leagues, maybe to give them a little extra work or to get them to face some, some high level uh, minor league action. And they, they've been playing games. Uh, I think they'll play through November. Uh, Greg, who's playing for the Royals and, and is anyone that's kind of maybe stood out?
1: Yeah, we'll just go through all the Royals players because they didn't it's like they sent a ton of guys there. So you can watch all the fall league games, by the way, on MLB.com for free. So that's pretty nice. The surprise Saguaro's are the team where the Royals have their players. They'll actually be playing in about half an hour here. So if anybody is interested in tuning into that, the surprise to they have Royals players. They also have players from the Phillies, Pirates, Astros, and Rangers. So just going to go through and check out all these prospects we have. It's usually for kind of more advanced upper level prospects, getting their feet wet a little bit. And so just kind of look at what these guys have been doing and maybe what their role could be for the team going forward. So the main guy I want to highlight here first is John Rave outfielder. So he was a fifth round pick in 2019 from Illinois state And he's been one of the best hitters on the surprise Saguaro's. He's played in seven games. He's gone seven for 25, a double, triple, two homers, nine strikeouts to four walks. So lots of walks, but also lots of swing and miss there. He was basically average in double A this year. Then he played 11 games in triple A and he struggled. He's kind of a do-it-all guy. Like he's got some pop. He can work a walk, steal a bag, plays all three outfield spots. He does strike out a bit more than you'd like, but it's not out of control. His biggest issue is kind of an odd one. And that's, this season, and throughout his minor league career, he's had an infield pop-up rate over 20%, so kind of a strange issue to have. Don't know how that can be fixed because that has a lot of infield pop-ups, and that's basically as good as a strikeout, but on the bright side, he's only popped up twice in the fall league so far in 29 plate appearances, so maybe improvement there. He'll be 25 next year. He doesn't really show up on prospect lists or anything, but could be maybe a useful fourth outfielder. I mean, he's basically Kyle Isbell with more walks and more strikeouts, so Based on that profile, any interest in seeing John Rave playing a role with the Royals sometime next year or two years from now?
2: Yeah, his name's come up a little bit. I, I think two years ago, um, there was some a little bit of hype over him just because of his performance. And I think I, I think I read something he was a really good leader in the clubhouse as well. Like players kind of gravitated towards him. So yeah, he seems like kind of a uh, yeah fourth outfielder, kind of do a little bit of everything. No no weaknesses to his games. Maybe no no real strengths, but, but a guy who can kind of fill out your bench well. So yeah, I'm kind of excited to see him maybe compete for a spot in the outfield uh, at some point next year.
1: Yeah. He's a good looking dude too. So that's worth pointing out. Uh, (laughs)
2: Next
0: up. Think of all the things we could do with that last name in headlines.
2: Yeah. Oh, I'm all about that. Yeah. Fans rave for rave.
0: Next guy. I think most
1: people are listening to this podcast are probably familiar with. This is Tyler Gentry outfielder. He was a third round pick in 2020 out of university of Alabama. And he was you know, kind of injured in 2021 in high A. He played well, but had any injuries. so didn't get a full season. And then this year in high A, tore it up at the beginning of the season, got promoted to double A. And he was even better, You know, cut his strikeouts and hit for more power, finished with an OPS over 950 between the two levels. But in the fall league so far, he has struggled. He's gone four for 27, the double and two homers, five strikeouts to one walk, and he is hit into four double plays. Now, he posted great walk rates in the minors, so it's surprising that he's only managed to draw one so far this fall. And he also has a BABIP of 100. So there's probably some bad luck at play here. Obviously, the small sample size disclaimers apply for all these guys. That said, I think there is a very real chance that Gentry factors into the outfield picture in Kansas City next year. Should there be injuries or just guys like Kyle Isbell or Drew Waters or Edward Olivares struggle out of the gate? So I don't know. I, I see a good chance that he plays in Kansas City next year. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I, I I I know he's a guy that uh, Alex Duvall, at Royals' farmer part, has been pretty high on, um, and yeah, I agree. He, he's I think the fact they send him to the Arizona Fall League is a really good sign. Um, a little surprised they didn't send uh, Tucker Bradley, uh, based on the year he had. But Gentry is a guy that I think could be in the mix. And look, if he's a guy that I think if the if he was in the Cardinals organization. Like, he'd be, he'd be their starter in June and just, like, go on a tear. Like, they always have – because he's not high on any prospect list, right? He's a guy that just kind of puts up numbers, goes about his business, and it seems like Cardinals always have guys like that who just aren't really heralded but just come up and put up numbers. And, you know, whatever they're doing developmental-wise, I want that.
1: Yeah, he's never going to be a star, I don't think, because he's he's just fine in the corner outfield. It's not like he's a spectacular defender or anything. So the value there is all really in the bat, but the dude has just done nothing but hitting the minors. So definitely very encouraging there. The other position player for the Royals here is Samad Taylor, who's a second-base, maybe utility type. He was acquired from Toronto in the Whit Merrifield deal. He is 5 for 28 with a double and a triple. He's walked five times but also struck out 10. Four stolen bases has not been caught. And unlike Tyler Gentry, I cannot use the bad excuse here because two fifty is low, but not crazy low. He's only played second base in Arizona, but in the last two years, he's made start at second, short, third base, left field, and center field. So he can kind of play all around the diamond. He was hurt in the second half this year. So this has been his first action since joining the Royals organization. He turned 24 this summer and he's hit well the past few years in the minors, but It's hard to see exactly where he might fit on the roster. I don't dislike Samad Taylor. I'm just kind of having a hard time really seeing the path forward for him.
2: Uh, I like him. I thought he was a really good pickup uh, from the Blue Jays and the Whit Merrifield trade because he seems like kind of a poor man's wit a little bit. I mean, he plays a couple different positions, has speed, um, has a little bit of pop. Uh, So I'm kind of interested in seeing what he can do. He's probably a quad A player, but um, he has a chance to be a bench player at the big league level. I did get um, a scout uh, contacted me on Twitter, and he said he had been watching Arizona Fall League games and was really impressed with Samad Taylor. He barreled the ba- barreled, barreled the ball uh, a couple of times, uh, including a shot to the wall. So at least one scout fan uh, seems to be pretty impressed with him. So I, I'm kind of I'm really interested to see what he does next year at Omaha. I assume Omaha, and uh, he's got a chance to be at the big league level at some point next year.
1: So aside from those three position players, the Royals sent four pitchers also to the fall league. So just kind of going through them real quick. The first one, TJ Sikama, lefty, who was acquired from the Yankees in the trade for Andrew Benintendi. He just last night made his last start of the fall, and he was very solid. Four innings allowed only one unearned run. And so he finished with a 245 ERA in 11 innings, nine strikeouts and six walks. Six of those strikeouts came in that last outing. He got a lot of ground balls. He was very efficient, the fewest pitches per inning among the team starters. I liked him when the Royals got him, but he was really bad on the stretch after getting traded. He was not carrying over what he was doing in the Yankees organization. That said, though, here in the fall, he's playing with some high-profile guys because top prospects Quinn Priester from the Pirates and Kumar Rocker from the Rangers are also on this team, and he's been better than both of them. So maybe there's some kind of path forward for Sakema. Not sure if he's going to be a starter long term or even what his kind of major league timeline is, though.
2: Yeah, I see him moving to the pen. I think he could be in the big leagues pretty quickly coming out of the pen because he's got he's a lefty. First of all, he's got some velocity and he can uh, he's got a little bit of a, a different arm angle that might be tough for some lefty. So, I, you know, I, and I know maybe that's disappointing for a first round pick and a guy that was kind of the headliner for the Andrew Benintendi trade. But if he's a really solid reliever, I mean, you know, I'll take it at this point.
1: I know some people thought that Beck Way was the headliner there, so
2: worth noting. Uh, Christian Chamberlain, left-handed
1: pitcher. He's a fourth-rounder in 2020 out of Oregon State, and he has had an outstanding fall, five and a third shutout innings, eight strikeouts. He's only allowed five base runners, one of which he picked off, so good for you, Christian. If he pans out, then he could be a lefty power reliever. He doesn't really have a third pitch, so he's probably not going to be able to start. But he really needs to improve his command because between high A and double A, he just walked entirely too many batters this year. 49 minor league innings, he walked 47 batters and threw 11 wild pitches. So the control is definitely a concern here, but the stuff is absolutely electric. So if he can find a way to throw just enough strikes, then maybe he can be a power reliever for the Royals at some point.
2: Yeah, I liked him as a, as a draftee in the fourth round in 2020, but he really fell off the radar quickly. Again, he, was, he missed almost all of last year. Came back this year wasn't very good, so it'd be nice to see him kind of get his career back on track. And like you say, probably uh, his future is as a power lefty out of the bullpen.
1: And the other two pitchers, not really prospects here, so Jonah DePoto, right hander, 35th rounder in 2019 out of UCSD. He's tossed three innings, two runs allowed, three strikeouts, one walk, one home run. He's 26 and he just posted a 508 FIP in double A, so basically a non prospect. And the last one, Walter Pennington. Left-handed pitcher, he was an undrafted free agent in 2020 out of Colorado School of Mines. Remember when the Royals really picked clean the undrafted free agent market that year? Pennington has had a stellar fall. I mean, four scoreless innings, five strikeouts, four base runners allowed. Can't find much about him. I mean, he studied Mech E in school, so good for him, engineering guy. I don't know anything about him other than he was mediocre in AA this year, and that he is exactly a week older than me.
2: Uh yeah he was an undrafted free agent uh, and yeah I don't I don't know much <laughs> about him either so a couple of people asked me this seem like it seems like a little bit of organizational filler here with these like Pennington and Depoto and maybe Chamberlain just because he didn't have a very good year this year um, and a little bit older like these are older players and I know you know there's some really good prospects in the Arizona Fall League uh Jordan Walker of the Cardinals Jordan Lawler of the Diamondbacks Jason Dominguez of the Yankees but some to you know you have to send some organizational filler guys i guess but do you think that this is a a old class to be going to the afl compared to some other teams or is this just kind of just about right to you or you know how do you feel about the quality of the players we're sending over there i think it's
1: fine it's not like it's our top prospects or anything outside of gentry really i can sort of understand the kind of hand-wringing about all oh, these are old guys but i mean just looking at the roster here and the date of births, they're not really all that old for this. And aside from like the two guys that we mentioned with Topoto, um, they're, they're just roster filler, really. Like they're probably not going to see major league time at any point. So wish them all the best. Anyway, I don't think this is a bad crop of players or anything to send over because there weren't really a whole lot of obvious candidates to go over. Just the levels that our top prospects are at right now. They just weren't quite at the level where you're ready to go ahead and send them to Arizona.
2: Well, we'll definitely keep an eye on them and see how they close out the season. And, uh, Hopefully they can they can finish strong and have uh, carry that over into next year and uh, we'll talk about a little bit more about them uh, you know once that season's concluded. Well, let's take a quick break. we'll come back. we'll discuss the the new playoff format and what we think of it uh, right after, right after this. We're back and uh, this year MLB is changing the playoff format. Uh, you may have noticed that they added an additional wildcard team first of all, so there's three wildcard teams in each league. They also added a, a, a round of wildcard games with a best of three format. That resulted, I think, in some pretty exciting uh, series, but also some controversy when some of the 100-win teams, like the Mets and the Dodgers, were bounced out early on. Um, I guess, Jeremy, what what's kind of your early thinking on the playoff format, its fairness, and how much ex- excitement it's generating for baseball fans?
0: Let's be honest. The uh, the playoff format has never been fair. Uh, it, it's impossible to make it Fair for every circumstance, but it was you know um, one team in each league you'd have a team that won a hundred games and didn't make the playoffs. heck we had that when we had one wild card team, we would have a team that would win ninety ninety seven ninety eight games and not make the playoffs some years. Uh, and then it's like, well, don't they deserve to make playoffs? Well, OK, sure. But now in other years, you've got teams that have 88 wins bumping off the 100 win teams. And it would go back to 2014 and the Royals rocked the Angels world. The Angels had led the, the league in wins that year. They won all those games and then they faced the Royals who barely squeaked into the playoffs. And oops, you're gone. Uh, so I, it's I don't i fairness is completely irrelevant to me. What is interesting to me is uh are we having fun? Are we seeing uh some high quality baseball and uh you know i I, I saw um a, a thought from I can't remember if it was Joe Posnansky or Craig Calcaterra in their newsletter. Uh, one of their newsletters, but they they were basically like I, I think it was Poznanski. But the you know the regular season is one thing, and the postseason is another thing, and you have to enjoy them differently um, to really enjoy them. But uh, to look at them both together doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think that I think that sentiment makes sense. In that, you know, we made it once you make it to the postseason, it's a whole new animal. It's a very different kind of baseball that gets played in the postseason. And, uh, you know, they would have to overhaul it in some other way to make that stop being true. It's all those days off, let you use your bullpen completely differently. And, uh, you know, so I I like the playoffs the way they are. I think I think they're exciting. I think they're fun. Uh, I think more games is better. I think more teams is better. Uh, You know, up to a point, if you put every team in there, that might be a bit much, Uh, but I, I'm perfectly happy with the way the playoffs have worked out this year. I'm, I, I, I'm also excited, you know, that the Dodgers aren't there. Uh, I'm glad to see. Uh, I was looking at the the what we've got going on. We've got this, the Padres and the Phillies. And I said, can't lose in the National League. One of those teams I'm going to be happy to see in the World Series. And then I looked at the American League and oh, no, no, still got the Yankees and the Astros. Can't win over there. I don't care to see either of those teams in the World Series. But, you know, at least uh, when we knock out those 100 win teams, it leaves room for teams that are, you know, more underdog ish, which is kind of where I like to be anyway.
2: Yeah, this isn't a new thing either. I mean, like we look back in history, 1973 World Series, 82 win Mets against uh, they upset the big red machine, 99 win Reds and made it to the World Series against the Yankees, 94 win. Uh, oh, excuse the athletics, uh, that was uh, 1972, 1987, the Minnesota Twins win the World Series with 85 wins. They had the fifth best record of the American League that year. But because they were the best team in the West, which was a terrible division that year. Uh, they went on to upset the Tigers and the 98 win Tigers, and then the 95 win Cardinals. So this has happened before. I mean, we you know that's that's part of the what the the postseason format, and it sucks that you play 162 games and you lose in a short series, but that's that's what the playoffs are. And maybe if we just you know maybe fans have a better understanding of of. Uh, an appreciation for the regular season. Maybe there should be a regular season trophy. I love how the NHL has the, I think it's called the the president's trophy for the best regular season. Um, That'd be great. I think there should be some more emphasis on that. Um, And and, and also recognize, you know, the playoffs are a bit of a crapshoot, but they're fun. And that's how we recognize a champion. So let's embrace it. Uh, Greg, what do you think about this playoff format and how it's uh, generated, I guess, a little bit of controversy, which maybe that's a good thing for baseball
1: was the controversy generated by the playoff format or just by the 100 win teams in the national league kind of poop in the bed a little bit because the top two seeds in the American league are playing in a CS right now. So I think it's just on the Dodgers and the Braves for not winning those games. I mean, that seems like their problem, not really mine. I don't think it's because of the playoff format. Now, naturally you are going to introduce more randomness to more teams that you have in the playoffs. But as you all mentioned, it's never been fair. It never has been at any point. You usually, the best team does not win the title. That's just what happens almost every year. Like In recent memory, off the top of my head, like the 2018 Boston Red Sox were the best team and they won the title. That's really the only year recently where I can think of that the team that was very clearly the best team won the title. Usually that's just not how it goes. The whole point of the playoffs is there's going to be randomness. There's going to be upsets. There's going to be, quote, worse teams beating, quote, better teams. It happens every single year. No change in the format is going to change that. It seems like this seems to be coming out of Dodgers land, especially because, you know, they won 111 games and then were knocked out of the playoffs in four games. And so there's stuff like, oh, the regular season title should mean more. or The division series should be seven games or blah, blah, blah. It's like all of a sudden they really want to go to the Premier League model, I guess. So just have only a regular season and not even have a postseason. I don't know. I I think part of the problem is. This is going to sound maybe a little bit weird. It's a cultural thing of just in America, we put a little bit too much emphasis on just championships. And if you don't win the championship in the entire season as a failure, I just don't think that's a good way to look at it.
2: Very curious. Dodgers fans aren't complaining about 2018 when they won the pennant upsetting the 96 win Brewers when the Dodgers only won 92 games. Now they have a problem with it. Yeah, but I I agree with everything you said. Like I, I, I think it's, I think actually the the fun thing about sports is is the randomness a little bit. I mean, you don't want too random. You want good teams to still win. But what what's the mo- one of the most popular sports uh, sporting events in America is that March Madness because any team could beat any team. We love when the 15 seed beats the two seed, right? We love uh, David being Goliath. So let's you know baseball should kind of embrace that. I like the one game wild card playoff. That was exciting. I think it's, it was nice to have the be you know how be like the center of attention for one game and have one focus it's part of why i think football is more popular than baseball is because people only have to focus on one game it's not a series uh and so i i kind of like that one game one game playoff uh i kind of wish they would get back to that um, also, it would be easier to, with the travel and games extending into November. But, um, you know, I, I think they, baseball should really embrace that randomness a little bit and say, and, and but also make it clear, like, hey, we have a regular season champion, but also a, a playoff champion as well, uh, or at least recognize regular season excellence uh, and, and, and also postseason excellence as, as well.
1: Yeah. You know, if anybody wants to watch a, t- a sport where just the quote, best teams are the ones that go on to win the title, just go watch the NBA. I mean, that's what happens there. <laughs>
2: and, and, and the opposite end is the NHL, right? Where you have eight seeds winning all the time because a goalie gets hot and uh, there's all sorts of upsets. It seems like the best team almost never wins and in, in the Stanley wins the Stanley cup. So, uh, you know, there's, there's different ways of going about it. And I, I think this is generally, I think the format they have now, I don't like expanded playoffs, but if you're going to do it, this is kind of a nice format to have, and I I I like to see at least play it out play out for a little bit before I make too many judgments about it.
1: Yeah, it seems like a knee jerk reaction just based on what happened in one year in the National League. Yeah,
2: well, let's wrap things up with our Royals review reviews this week. Jeremy, why don't you uh, kick it off for us this week?
0: So I'm gonna do something a little bit different because we never do anything, you know, a little bit different when it comes to the Royals Review Reviews. Uh, I'm not going to recommend anything specific. But what I am going to recommend is go out there and find uh, a movie or a TV show or or something that's that's written originally in a different language, not, not English. Um, you know, uh, Netflix has tons of Korean dramas. Uh, I know that there's gotta be tons of French and Spanish stuff on there too. Um, just go out there and find something, uh, that's, that's a different language than what you speak. Um, to, because I, what I have found, uh, after having watched a lot of anime, uh, for the last few years, uh, is that there are some really cool Japanese phrases, that I never would have been exposed to if I had just stuck with my English only. Um, and, and, so you know, sometimes I, the, the joke goes with the, with the German words, there's a German word for anything. Right. Um, and and there, that goes for, you know, when you look at all the languages, I think you can see that, 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 between all the human languages, we, we pretty much have a word or a phrase for everything, and so finding out more of those words and phrases but doing it kind of organically by just consuming their media um, can be really fun, and, and it can just be I, – I just recommend that as an experience to try. So that's going to be my Royals review this week is go out and watch something that uh, is in another language that you don't primarily speak
2: my my wife is addicted to korean dramas that's like literally all she watches <laughs> uh yeah, it, I, I i'll recommend a couple uh lupin in french is a great like heist um con man uh, drama uh, it's in french and the great thing about netflix is you can either wa- watch subtitles or the audio dub which i prefer the subtitles um and then money heist which is in spanish There also there's also a korean version That's another good. I love heist stuff. So uh, that's another kind of bank robbery type uh, series. So, uh, yeah, and what's cool about watching foreign uh, shows is you get to see the other countries. I mean, it's kind of cool seeing what Barcelona and and Seoul and Tokyo and all these other countries, uh, all these other cities and other countries, because they look very exotic to us. So uh, I'll I'll co-sign that as well. Greg, what do you say for us this week? So I am something
1: of an unofficial spokesperson for Voodoo Ranger IPAs from New Belgium Brewing Company. I have had 21 different varieties of the Voodoo Rangers, and they've pretty much all been good. And the one I have here is the one that I think might just be my favorite out of all of them, and that is the Voodoo Vice IPA It's part of their latest uh, Voodoo Hoppy Pack, which is their variety pack, and they change up a few times a year. So this is a new one that hadn't been released prior to about a month ago or so. It just has a perfect balance to me of the sweet, fruity flavor and kind of the bitter hops to it. It's it's hard for me to explain it any better than that. I just think it's – out of all the Voodoos, which, again, I, I'm a big fan of most of them, I think this one just might be the best one. So I'd recommend going out to your local beer shop and seeing if you could pick up a Hoppy Pack. If you're into IPAs, you're, you're probably going to like them.
2: I, I think by the end of this uh, end of this year, you you'll will be the official – spokesperson for for them so i'm doing my best <laughs> yeah. uh my royals review review this week is uh the gas lamb district in san diego because the padres have been on uh, on our tvs for the last week and a half uh my wife and i actually took a trip to san diego this past june uh we actually took a trip there seven, 16 17 years ago when they were building the gas lamb district petco uh, park was still under construction uh we had a nice time back then and we went there recently this summer and what's really nice about the area is that they, for COVID reasons, they blocked off the streets so that everyone can dine outside. Well, the pandemic has largely subsided, uh, at least we hope, and uh, they've kept those the, that di- those dining areas outside, which is, makes for a really pleasant experience. And uh, for those of you in Kansas City, I would love to see that on the plaza as well to make it an actual plaza instead of having cars rumbling through all the time. But uh, it makes for a wonderful dining experience. I, I have yet to make it to a Padres game because they always seem to be out of town every time we go. But uh, the Gaslam District itself is, is a great uh, bar and restaurant area. San Diego also a great uh, brewery town as well. So uh, definitely highly recommend the food and the, and the drink out there. But if you do get a chance to go to San Diego, definitely check out the Gaslam District.
1: Blocking off streets to traffic in the plaza is something of a big dream of mine.
2: <laughs> yeah, it seems, seems like a no-brainer uh, at this point, but uh, we'll have to see.
0: I was just gonna say, do you really want to have uh outdoor dining in Kansas City like year round like
1: no, the this temperature water. is not
0: quite as temperate.
1: <laughs> it's more I just want walking and biking infrastructure and less focus on cars.
0: Well, there is that for sure,
2: <laughs> yeah, well, and they've they've got bubbles now <laughs> heat heat lamps and bubbles. up way of uh, mitigating the temperature, so uh, <laughs> we'll see how they get on that. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, thanks to uh, Jeremy and Greg for being on. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. And we'll talk to you all next
0: time.